I did not know how God was going to work things out. I needed to find out. It was really me wrestling with God and saying, if you called me to do what I believe you called me to do, then I'm going to get out of the boat. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to depend upon the financial security that I had as a pastor. I'm not going to depend upon the safety that I had, which is ironic. You could be a pastor of a church and not walk by faith anymore because you've got a steady paycheck. You've got people that love you and keep moving forward with what you're doing. And so I didn't know. And I have to be honest with you. I am often asking God, can you really use me? Am I of any use to you? Because I don't believe that. Welcome to Along the Way. I'm John Matarazzo, your host and fellow traveler. Thank you for joining me along my way as I try to become more like Jesus every day. I am blessed to get to know wonderful guests through the TV show that I produce called Real Life, which can be seen Monday through Friday at 1 p.m., 8 p.m., and 1 a.m. on Cornerstone Network. Michael Anthony has been on the Real Life program a number of times, and he always brings a purposeful word, challenging us to live a courageous life for God. At the end of this episode, Michael gives a 20% discount code for his Courageous Life Planning System, and I hope that you take full advantage of his generous offer. I'll get to that conversation in just a moment, but I want to give a big shout out to my new friend Alpha. Alpha recently started listening to Along the Way, all the way from Europe. He reached out to me through my Instagram account, and he let me know that the conversations in this podcast have greatly blessed him. And he even ordered four of the recommended books that my guests were talking about in older episodes. I have been blessed by our interactions online, and I love his passionate desire to deeper his relationship with God. Alpha, thank you so much for reaching out to me, my friend. I love whenever I find out that new people are listening to this show. I would love to hear from you please email me at johnalongtheway at gmail.com and let me know where you're listening from. All of my socials and contact links are in the show notes. I look forward to hearing from you, and I want to thank you for listening and subscribing to Along the Way. And now, here's my Along the Way conversation with Michael Anthony. All right. Well, Michael Anthony, thank you so much for allowing me to join you along your way as we have this Along the Way podcast conversation. And uh, you've been a guest on the Real Life program a number of times. And we, as you said before we started this recording, we hit it off right away. And um, I think the first time you were with us, you were talking about historical revivals. And Mm -hmm. then you Mm -hmm. came with a book. And you're always doing something to help advance the kingdom of God, to help believers grow in their faith, to Mm -hmm. take courageous steps of faith, a call to courage, if you would. Now you're doing something called the Courageous Life Planning System, and Mm -hmm. we'll talk about those things a little bit later, kind of what you're doing. But everything that has happened in your life, that is happening in your life now, God has led you on a journey to where you are now, and God has Mm -hmm. led you along the way. Mm -hmm. I'd Mm -hmm. love to be able to share some of your story with this podcast audience because you, you've had kidnapping attempts, you've had all kinds of, you didn't try to kidnap somebody, somebody tried to kidnap you a couple different times. That's right, and, it's uh, important so, to clarify, right? Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. But um, yeah, I, I want to hear how Michael Anthony became Michael Anthony through the power yeah. of Jesus Christ. Well, John, it's always great to connect with you. I love your podcast. Uh, hello to all your listeners. Great to be on the program. And, uh, you know, my story is really uh, possible because of the Lord Jesus Christ, as you said. I think that um, I am just a man trying to point people to the Son of Man. That's how I see my life purpose. That's that's the purpose of my life. So um, anything good that's happening in my life is because of the Lord, and I have certainly given Him His work cut out. His work <laughs> is cut out for Him in that regard. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm thankful for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He uh, revealed himself to me in my senior year in high school, Hmm. and it's been quite a journey since then. A lot of people, their transformation in Christ is like a microwave, you know, instantaneous. They're transformed. Uh, Dramatic change for me was more like a crockpot. It was gradual over quite a a bit of time, and uh, um, I'm very grateful for everything that he's done in my life. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up. What was your understanding of God when you were a child? 
Yeah, born in New York, raised in New Jersey. So I want to apologize to everybody right now, right out the beginning. Raised in a Roman Catholic Italian family. So um, the idea of going to church was instilled in us at a very young age. The idea of an Italian family from Brooklyn. Both of my parents are from Brooklyn. My grandparents came here from Italy. Uh-huh. from central and southern Italy. And uh, my understanding of God as I grew up was very distant. He was a distant figure. I always remember, I remember having a conversation with my mom in the kitchen one day about uh, how strange I thought it was that people did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Hmm. So I always had that understanding at a cognitive level. As far back as I go, I, I remember having that understanding about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and believing it. But it was a head thing. It wasn't until my senior year of high school where it became a heart thing and then a lifestyle thing. And Mm. um, thought about being a priest for a little while, probably for about a day. Found out (laughs) you couldn't get married. And that kind of settled things for me. And Uh um, yeah, so my journey's been kind of all over the place. Um, When I did accept Christ, had exposure to all kinds of churches, extreme Pentecostal churches, extreme reformed churches and everything in between so it gave me a really good exposure and a really good kind of baptism into all of the different expressions of the christian faith which has helped me up to this day in terms of interacting with people and having good rapport with them yeah so you made an analogy earlier of the microwave Christianity experience where people just kind of have their moment and they know right you referenced that you're more like a crock pot See, Mm -hmm. with a microwave, there's a timer and a ding that goes off, and you just kind of know that the food is done, hopefully. But with a crock pot, how did you know that you had actually been accepted by God? Great question. Or you received your salvation from the Lord? I was in my senior year, and I was always struggling with calculus. I was not a math guy. I vowed after I graduated high school never to take a math course again, and I lived up to it. And I was either staying after for help with calculus or as one of the yearbook editors of our high school yearbook, Mm -hmm. I was staying after to work on that. And it just so happens that the same guy who was my calculus teacher was also the yearbook advisor. So I was around him all the time, and he was a follower of Jesus. He would share the gospel and have conversations about the Bible with all of my friends uh, after school as we're sitting there, you know, you're spending hours working on a math problems. You're spending hours working on the yearbook and eventually the gospel would come up because he, he really lived it. Yeah. And I would always make like I wasn't listening mm. and I was listening. One day all my friends were gone. I sat down and started asking him questions. He shared with me what you might be familiar with. Your listeners might be familiar with this, the Romans road mm-hmm. where it was either works that we're saved by the things we do or we're saved by grace as a as a matter of faith in jesus christ and he shared with me for a period of three days i remember that very clearly very small yearbook office Mm -hmm. the uh, editorial office and then finally he said to me his name is dave nace still alive still in touch with him to this day Mm -hmm. he said listen i've shared enough with you you need to make a decision i said no don't tell me that you're you're throwing that a challenge nobody had done that for me before Hmm. he said you know enough it's either works or it's great so for a couple of days i tried to postpone the decision and i became conscious of so many areas of my life now where i was a sinner and i could not help myself so i remember i lived at 300 bickle road in washington new jersey upstairs in our bedroom and i was just overwhelmed with my sin i became Hmm. conscious of how I fell short from God's standard, which is not comparing me to you or you to me, but comparing me to his son, Jesus. I uh, remember weeping and prayed to ask God to forgive me and gave my life to Christ three times that night. Hmm. Then I remember reading the Bible after that, because raised Catholic, I had read on the catechism, read the Bible, heard heard the Gospels, read the Gospels. They never made sense to me. I remember for the first time, opening up my Bible, and it was literally like I could understand a new language, literally. The scales, you know, the Bible says whenever somebody turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, and we're able to see more clearly. Mm -hmm. And literally, it was as if I could understand a foreign language, John. I could read the Gospels, and they made sense to me. That was how I knew, you know, the evidence of assurance. How do I know that God had forgiven me? I could now do what I could not do before. I, I felt like the monkey was off my back. The weight of the gravity of my sin was no longer on me, and it wasn't because it was put on Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I had that confirmation that the ability to read Scripture and that peace that surpasses understanding 
supernatural. It was really supernatural. That's how I knew my senior year in high school. Wow. That's powerful. So what was it that you read that you realized, I actually understand this. Do you remember what one of those things was? The Gospels. I remember reading Matthew's Gospel, and I just devoured it. I just thought, wow, this is amazing. I realized (laughs) that Jesus was not this head historical figure that I just known about from at a head level. I realized that he was a real person, and I was soaking it all in. And then again, my appetite for the scriptures just took off. So I remember reading the Gospels literally before it was a mystery. I couldn't understand it. It did not make sense to me. And now I, I read it and I could understand who Jesus was and what he was doing and how people's lives were changed. And I felt like I knew this guy. Yeah. I felt like I, I knew him in a way I didn't know him before. That's awesome. Yeah. Would you say that that's the first time that, that you remember that God's speaking to you? Uh, very clearly. And that's a good reminder, too. I think the primary way he speaks to us is through his word. And uh, I tell people all the time, you can have a personal word from God, a practical personal word from the God of the universe anytime you want by just opening up the book that he gave us, the Bible, and uh, you can start reading, and that's that's for you. And if it's not directly for you, there's something you can glean from it, because there are parts of scriptures that are for certain individuals for a limited time, limited circumstance. But the majority of the, the Bible is for us to learn and to grow. Yeah, absolutely. So I made mention in your introduction that there was some attempts at your life. Mm-hmm. Would you mind just talking about those a little bit and why mm-hmm. those came about? Yeah, when I was about four, close to five years old, uh, we lived in Riverdale, New Jersey. And I was out on my tricycle with my older brother, and he was riding his bike. We were just out playing, goofing around, and a car came up. You know, one of those cars with the fins over the back mm-hmm. uh, trunk area. You know, this is the 60s. Okay. Car pulled up, it was a blue car, and the guy was wearing sunglasses, opened up the door and said, hey, little boy, you want some candy? And I ran away to my brother probably the next day or a couple of days later, I remember how many days, same car pulled up, same guy. Now, this time a woman was in the car, both wearing dark glasses. They opened up the door of the car and there was a revolver sitting on the seat and they said, get in the car. And I ran away back home. Oh my God. Apparently did not have a conversation with my mother about it. My mother found out through a neighbor. And within a few days, the same guy was in the back of our house carrying a big yellow sack. My parents called the police. The police came, identified the guy, and they took him away. Now, this is in the 60s. Things were a little bit different then. Yeah. We don't know what happened to that guy. Hmm. There was no kind of trial, nothing like that. But I can tell you that we moved shortly after that. We moved after that to um, the place where I then grew up for the rest of my childhood in, in Washington, New Jersey. Wow. Do you have any thoughts looking back as to why they were targeting you? I do. We have a theory as a family. Um, there was an illegal sand pit not far from our house, and we didn't know it at the time, but the mafia was involved. We had heard years later in that sand pit, and uh, the mayor was also involved in that. And my parents were leading the charge against the sand pit because it was illegal, and there was sand always in the house. My mom would wipe down a table and half hour later, there'd be sand all over the place. So we've speculated that perhaps they wanted a little bit of leverage to shut my parents up mm. and to be able to do what they wanted to do. We'll never know really what the what the real reason was. I revisited the spot actually two years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, the, the actual intersection where, where it happened. Yeah, on Hillcrest Drive or Hillcrest Road in Riverdale, New Jersey, Pompton Lakes. You can go mm. there if you know where that is, yeah. So as an adult, you now have a wife and two kids. Mm-hmm. When you look back at that memory, what does God show you about that that you didn't see uh, before that? Mm. It shows me his incredible mercy and uh, protection. Because in addition to those instances, I nearly died four times throughout my life as well. Hmm. I had brushes with death four different occasions. And I look back and I, uh, the, the, the one of those times was having cancer. And... Um, I'm now 11 years cancer-free. Praise the Lord. So I look at the sovereignty of God. I look at the mystery of God. And I don't mean that in a mystical way, mystery. You know, there's some things about God we do not understand the side of eternity. Paul says, you know, now we see as through a glass dimly. Then we will be able to see clearly. We'll, we'll be known as we are. We'll know as we are fully known, he says. There are some things that we don't understand this side of eternity. I don't understand all of that, but it has certainly served those near-death experiences and the, mm-hmm. the kidnapping attempts, the luring attempts. 
uh, have helped me appreciate the idea of making the most out of my life. Those became driving factors in my life to try to make the most of my life. The Bible says, redeem the time. And right. that's really one of the major themes of my life, trying to make the most of my life in terms of eternity, having a good, long-term, eternally significant legacy and impact. That's a very good lead into my next question about how you found your purpose. Yeah. You've been an author, you've been a pastor, mm -hmm. you're like a spiritual entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. You've got a lot of stuff going on right now. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. how did you feel that God was calling you and how did you identify mm -hmm. that purpose in your life? I wanted to be a trial attorney. I wanted to be a criminal trial attorney for as long as I could remember. I was at Rutgers University and I was on a track getting ready to pursue becoming a lawyer. I wanted to be a criminal trial attorney. So I was pursuing, in my mind's eye, a pre-law track for a criminal trial attorney. I, wanted, I, I like to debate. I like to convince, prove. And I remember being in the Ford dormitory on College Avenue, the College Avenue campus, and I was in the top bunk bed. We had four guys sharing a suite. It's in the top bunk bed. And I remember waking up one day and the desire to be an attorney was just gone. Hmm. And that's the first time it had been gone. I, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, my goodness. And then it just made sense to me. I thought, you know, I'll do the same thing that I would have done as an attorney, arguing cases, pleading cases, trying to persuade, convince. I'll do that same thing for the gospel. Hmm. So that was the beginning of the turning for me. Because I think that the aptitude, the personality that God gives you, the passions that he gives you, your upbringing, I think God uses all of that to shape your purpose, Absolutely. to help you understand your purpose, guide your purpose. And so when you think about um, what I do, it's not too terribly different from what an attorney does. It's a different focus for a different outcome, if that makes sense. That's why I write. That's why I came out with the Courageous Life Planning System. That's why I speak, do apologetics, things of that sort. So that's how my purpose began to be formulated. I realized that my purpose was to make him known mm. and to try to point as many people as possible to him. Yeah. So what are some of the first steps that you took along that journey? Well, I struggled. This is the crockpot issue. Yeah. I struggled. I went to four years of college, majored in English with a concentration in writing, and I did not know that that was going to pan out so significantly, just like I took a typing class my freshman year as a joke. Mm -hmm. And yet now I'm about maybe 80 words a minute I can type. Oh, wow. Or, you know, two-handed. I had no idea that God was going to use that to be able to write. And now I, I write pretty prolifically. But four years of college, and I came out, you know what my first job was? Hmm. My first job, four years at Rutgers University, originally on a pre-law track. And my first job was as the department manager in a shoe department of a sporting goods store. I did not have any direction. I did not have a good father figure. I did not have good preparation so I struggled for the first multiple years after college trying to figure out my purpose in terms of how do I let people know about Christ? How do I put that at the forefront? How do I use my gifting, my passion, my aptitude, my talents, and all of that stuff? So I went from job to job in the beginning. Then got a job at a Christian publishing company where I was an assistant buyer, where all the bookstores would get their supplies from us. We were one of the main hubs. Mm -hmm. So I began all kinds of samples of commentaries and Bibles. So I began to build my library hmm. that way, my, my Bible library, through all of these great books, books like from Gary Habernas, you know, Did Jesus Rise from the Dead? And I just started to devour those things. And that was part of God's training for me hmm. in those early years. And that's what I mean when I say it was a crockpot. So hopefully, you know, if you're listening and you say, well, you know, I don't know exactly what God wants me to do, or I wish God would make it clearer for me. I would say, go back to what your passions are. Look at your aptitude. Look at your personality. Look at how you grew up. Look at how God has used your history in the course of your life. Don't shun those things or push those away. Try to find out what the lessons are behind those, and it'll help create great clarity for you now. And don't be discouraged just because, you know, the most dramatic testimonies that we hear are typically the ones of the people with the crockpot, you know, dramatic change. But then oftentimes, if you come alongside those people and you get to know them, you realize that they, yes, they had dramatic change in this area or these couple of areas, mm -hmm. but they also do have crockpot areas in these other areas yeah. where they're, they're either struggling or slow to learn or um, really having difficulty. It's just that we tend to hear what's most prominent and that's what gets the attention. So God is a God who uses 
if he if he was a chef, he would use the crock pot and the microwave. He doesn't use just one or the other. <laughs> he uses both of those. Absolutely. So how did you go from working in a as a buyer, mm-hmm. how did you end up being a pastor, end up being an author? Mm-hmm. Take me up to modern day. Yeah. Well, I began to study. I just had an interest in revival history. Then as I continued to pray, continued to seek God, wanted to make myself available, I eventually did a missions trip overseas. I was supposed to be there for three months in Africa. I stayed for five. I was in Liberia. And then they suggested, you better leave because that's when Charles Taylor was coming in before the revolution. So they wanted me to get out of the country with the other people while I had still had time. Oh, so you were there at that point. Wow. Okay. Right before that revolution. Yes, exactly. In uh, 1989. And then the Liberian difficulties started to happen. You know, Taylor started coming in later on in 1989. And then, of course, 90, 91, and so on with the Liberia crisis. So uh, while I was there, I realized that as I was meeting with people in different villages, you know, riding a motorcycle to remote places to have a Bible study, I realized that my knowledge of Bible was really limited. Hmm. So I realized that when I got back, I was going to get some Bible training. And so I came back and later that year in the fall of 1989, I went to Moody Bible Institute and did their graduate certificate program in Bible and theology. And uh, one of the best years of my life. So I got great Bible, great theology, devoured the Bible. I'd be like in the library at eight o'clock in the morning, as soon as it opened on Saturday. Mm. And I'd be there from the time it was open till the time it was closed all the time. And just had this amazing appetite that God gave me for the Bible, for theology and revival history. Yeah. And then I began to uh, realize, boy, I could just be a revival historian. And I did not want to just know about how God moved in other people's lives. Hmm. So I began to pray, God, would you help me to experience you the way I'm reading about of other people in the Bible and the way I'm reading about in revival accounts when you read revival history. And that began a process of God actually answering that prayer in multiple instances, getting to experience him the way that I was reading about in these revival accounts. Yeah. And so that led you to wanting to be a pastor or am I skipping a step? What happened then is, again, the crockpot thing. What happened was I was traveling and speaking, preaching, doing evangelism. And I was in a church one day standing during the worship time in the front row. I remember where I was. The Lord literally spoke to me. And that does not mean that he has to do that with you. Everybody who's listening, he does not have to do the same thing. It does not mean you're less spiritual if he doesn't. It does not mean that somebody's more spiritual because they hear. Because, again, I wasn't having a conversation with him. He reached out to me. It was Mm. grace. And he said, you're going to be pastor of this church. And I said, Lord, I can't be pastor of this church. You called me to travel and to speak. Kind of ironic. Preached there and then skipped the Sunday, was invited to come back. So I'm standing in the same spot, worshiping the Lord uh, two weeks later. And the Lord says to me, these people are going to ask you to be the pastor and you're going to say yes. And right after that service, one of the guys came up to me and said, hey, we've been praying, talking about it. We'd like to ask you if you would consider being the pastor. And I gave the real spiritual answer and I said, let's pray about it. And so that was my first pastorate. Uh, And I pastored there for a number of years, pastored elsewhere for a number of years, was planting a church in Charlotte, North Carolina when I got cancer. mm. How's that for a curveball, everybody? I mean, if anybody should have a break, it should be a church planter. Yeah, you'd think so. Yeah, we moved across the country from Oregon to Charlotte to do what's known as a pioneer parachute church plant, meaning you're going into a new area you never lived in before with nobody. You don't know anybody. And that's what we did. I would not recommend it. We had 100 people on our launch day, and I was in the ICU at the hospital because I had a softball-sized tumor in my chest. Oh, my gosh. Not the best way to play a church. That was the launch Sunday. So I was not even there. I had somebody else as the guest speaker on launch Sunday oh my for gosh. My, my church plan. Uh, did chemotherapy for about six months, had uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, then did radiation. The tumor had shrunk uh, amazingly in mm-hmm. like 30 days. They were shocked at how it shrunk. And I talked to a doctor. He said less than 10% of people had that kind of a result in 30 days. That was a really, really good sign that it had shrunk that dramatically where it was no longer even visible on the x-ray. It went from a softball size to not visible on the x-ray. Stayed down in Charlotte. Afterward, my wife was like, you know, after I was pronounced cancer-free, my wife was like, that's great. We can go back to the church plant. And she's very loyal, very faithful. I said, hon, no way. 
I said, we need to recoup as a family. We did. We took about a year to recoup as a family. Mm -hmm. And then speaking invitations started coming in. Uh, I went to the Solomon Islands where I had experienced God powerfully in revival twice before, real revival, mm -hmm. and uh, toured with a band, a Christian band, as their evangelists saw hundreds of people come to know Christ the, uh, during that summer. Wow. Which band was that? Uh, a band called Superhero. Okay. They're no longer a band from, from the UK. Okay. So they were coming over. They wanted an evangelist because I'm an um, associate evangelist, a next generation alliance evangelist with the Luis Palau organization. Oh, wonderful. Okay. So that's how that connection came about. Gotcha. And that is what began what became Michael Anthony Ministries. Mm. So you started blogging and writing and pastoring and you're doing, mm -hmm. you're doing a lot of things all at the same time. Yeah. And you have a wife and two sons. And mm -hmm. then God says, okay, now that you've been pastoring, yeah. take this step of stepping down from the pastorate. That's right. That's and right. tell me about what God's doing with you now and how he led you to that. I think it's all about becoming the best version of yourself. I remember interviewing Howard Hendricks from Dallas Theological Seminary, and I was interviewing him about preaching. What's the difference between good preaching and great preaching? Because at that time in my life, I was really focused on that. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, Experience will not make you better at anything in life. Only evaluated experience will make you better. Boom. My life was changed wow. just with that statement. And I began to get evaluation into every aspect of my life. And I just, my, my last church that I was in, I pastored for about seven years, a large church, maybe 900, 1,000 people or so. And phenomenal experience, great group of people, love them dearly. But I began to evaluate my life and began to ask God, is this where you really have me? Is there a more strategic way that I can, you know, think about the parable of the talents, that mm -hmm. I can invest the remaining years of my life to have a greater impact? Up to that point, I got a call from a literary agency. They had seen me on CNN. They said, have you ever thought about writing a book? I did. Two weeks earlier, somebody invited me to use their cabin to actually write a book. So mm -hmm. I had scheduled time to actually go there to create a book proposal and write a few sample chapters. I was supposed to go there like a week or two after. And then I got a call. I actually got an unsolicited email on my mother's birthday, July 11th, asking me if I'd be interested in writing a book. So the literary agent found me. I went away that week, wrote the first draft of what became A Call for Courage, mm -hmm. Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear, and it was published by Thomas Nelson Publishers. You got to say what, you're, what you wanted the byline to be. <laughs> yes, the, work, the working title, which uh, I still like, was How to Stand Up and Speak Out in a Sit-Down, Shut-Up World. There you go. Yes. And you can't, you can't steal that, everybody, because it's already in the process of uh, being finalized. Uh, another book in that oh, regard. Good, good. So I wrote the book and was speaking on issues, you know, appearing on television, radio, whether mm -hmm. it's real life or other places, and began to evaluate. Remember, uh, experience won't make you better at anything in life, only evaluated experience. Began to evaluate everything. And as I do in the Courageous Life Planning System, there are seven areas of life. So I began to evaluate. How are my relationships? How's my spiritual life? How's my health and my fitness? How's my career? How are my finances? How's my education? How's my rest and recreation? Any goal you set is going to be in one of those seven areas of life. It's going to be centered in one of those seven areas of life. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's overflow, there's overlap, but any goal that you set in life is going to be centered in one of those seven areas. And as I began to do that, I began to realize my wife and I had conversations, our whole family had conversations, praying began to realize that we felt God was calling us to take a step of faith. So in June of last year, uh, after sitting down with my elders and telling them, I felt like God was telling me to, to step out, had no secure income, no steady stream of income. I said, I think I need to resign, announced it to our church in June, took a step of faith, and everything then began to align. And I began to realize, you know, if you're listening now, I began to realize that, you know, while I was waiting on God to give a clear sign, you got to be careful that as you, you know, the Bible says we walk by faith, which means sometimes there isn't a sign. You walk by faith. The Bible says the just yeah. shall live by faith. As I was waiting for God, I began to realize he was waiting for me. Mm. I was holding up what he wanted to do in my life. So I left it all behind, stepped away, and all the doors began to open. Mm. Everything has come together since then. Then we just launched the Courageous Life Planning System, which is very well received, uh, which is that life 
organizing tool to help you map out your life and live each day in light of eternity. While we're talking about that, explain the the courageous mm-hmm. life planning system to me. Yeah, well, I'm a planner nut. I love planners. 20 years ago, I came out with a planner, and then digital came out and killed all the planners. Everybody was using digital for a while. Mm-hmm. Well, now there's been enough use of digital. It's kind of like been this social experiment, uh, and they they realize now, the experts realize that digital media, the use of electronic devices, the average teen spends over nine hours, more time on a digital device than they do sleeping nowadays. Mm-hmm. I don't think adults are too far from that. It's the worst thing that you can do to increase focus is to be continually tied to a digital device. So there's been a resurrection of paper planners. Right. So the Courageous Life Planning System is comprised of three journals. There is a legacy blueprint, which is your life planner. That helps an individual map out their life in the seven major areas of life for the next three to 50 years or beyond. You can get as detailed as you want. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful hardbound book that lays flat, lay flat design, cloth cover. And the reason why I created that is because all of the planning systems that I saw out there, I just, you know, last year I bought all 25 of the bestsellers, mm-hmm. just devoured and went through them. All of them, it seems like as far as they go was just the yearly planner. But your goals for the year, although they're important, they need to be in the context of your goals for your lifetime. Right. And if you haven't sat down and figured out what's my purpose, what's my vision, what do I want to accomplish 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now? What do I want my legacy to be? Then even if you make your best efforts at planning for the year, you're still going to fall short. You're not reaching your potential. So the mm-hmm. whole planning system is designed to help people unleash their potential. So the first one is that life planner, that legacy blueprint. Yeah. And then the second one is the yearly planner, all comprised in one journal, 12 months, where you take your lifetime goals and then you reverse engineer them. You map them out for that year. And then the third journal is a daily success journal with affirmations and gratitude. So they work together to help you unleash your potential. So what would be the first step in somebody finding their life goal? I think the first thing is evaluation. Mm -hmm. And that's why like with the legacy blueprint, the whole front section is called a focus filter which is designed to help you think about your personality, your aptitude, your gifting, Mm. your life experience. Think about character. Think about your passion. All those things that are part of who you are. Uh, You know, as Christians, most of the emphasis that we hear about is your spiritual gift. Find your spiritual gift. I think that that belittles everything else that God has done in our lives. Your spiritual gift or gifts they're very important. You need to find out what your spiritual gift is. It's a supernatural grace given, not something that you have anything to do with from God. That's mm-hmm. what the word spiritual means. It comes from the word charisma, uh, charis, grace, grace gift. It's a grace gift. So your spiritual gift is important, but you should not neglect the things that you're passionate about, your aptitude, your personality, your life experience, the things that excite you. And I think as many times as Christians, we focus so much on one area that we think, well, God couldn't be at all interested in my passion. My passion couldn't really be. That must be sinful nature, my passion. I'm not talking about sinful passions. Mm -hmm. I'm just talking about we tend to belittle the whole comprehensive gift mix. So if somebody wants to find their purpose, you really should take some time to guess what? Evaluate. Yeah. What has excited you up to this point in your life? What kinds of things were you good at? What seems to come naturally to you? What seems to come supernaturally to you? What have other people affirmed in you? Uh, what have you tried that really doesn't work? Uh, if you've ever seen somebody trying to be a square peg in a round hole, you, know, you just want to tell them and take mm-hmm. them aside. A lot of people, when I was in seminary, right, I was a teaching fellow in preaching. And you had some guys that wanted to preach. And you just have to come alongside them and say, hey, brother, maybe God's called you to the pastorate, but he has not called you to preach. Mm. or teach. You just don't have that gift. A lot of times people are a number one, number two guy, meaning they're not the designed to be the leader of the leaders, but yet they're trying to be that for whatever reason they right. might be. And somebody needs to just come alongside of them and say, listen, I appreciate the zeal, appreciate the effort, but it's not that you got to be the number one, number one guy. You got to be the best version of you. Mm-hmm. So you got to find that. So your aptitude, your personality, your worldview, your passion, your spiritual gift and your natural gift and your experience, all those things come together in what I call a focus filter mm-hmm. to find out who you are as you evaluate. And that's how the cream comes to the top, as I would say, which is your purpose. That's how you discover 
your purpose, right. why you're here. We've been talking about evaluating your life to help mm-hmm. you find out your purpose. But as you evaluate your life, what has happened in your life that has showed you that Jesus was walking with you, but mm-hmm. you didn't realize it at the moment, but you can see it now? Mm-hmm. Well, the most recent thing is when I resigned from my pastorate. Mm-hmm. People said, are you sure that this, this is what God wants you to do? I said, I don't know. And people couldn't understand that. <laughs> How can you not know that? And I said to them, I don't think that faith is always knowing exactly how God's going to do things. I mean, when you think about how God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, they didn't know they were going to take the long route. They didn't know that. The promises of the Messiah in the Old Testament, Peter talks about it in his epistle. You know, the prophets search intensely, looking for the the timing and the circumstances to try to predict the the circumstances surrounding the Messiah. It was revealed to them that they weren't serving themselves, they were serving you. Mm. So hindsight's always 20-20. I did not know how God was going to work things out, and I needed to find out. It was really me wrestling with God and saying, if you called me to do what I believe you called me to do, which is what I'm doing right now, then I'm going to get out of the boat. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to depend upon the financial security that I had as a pastor. I'm not going to depend upon the safety that I had, which is ironic. You could be a pastor of a church and not walk by faith anymore. Mm-hmm because you've got a steady paycheck, you've got people that love you, and you're kind of keep moving forward with, with what you're doing. Right, right. And so I didn't know. And I have to be honest with you, I am often asking God, can you really use me? Am I of any use to you? Because I don't believe that. Hmm. I have other people saying, oh, you know, complimenting, whatever, but the opinions of people, they're temporary, and they're good only up to a certain point. So... As I look back now, I know very clearly, without any shadow of a doubt, that God was with me and my my wife and my kids as we talked and prayed about it over weeks in making that decision. And I was prepared that I was going to get out of the boat. And I knew that one of three options was possible. I was going to sink. I was going to be saved from sinking. Or I was going to walk on water. Hmm. Those are the only options that were available for Peter. So I said, Lord, if it's really you, then call me. Hmm. So my getting out of the boat was to leave the safety and security of my pastor to say, Lord, if it's you, call me. And now I can look back with clarity and say, yes, he did. Nothing I would rather be doing now than what I'm doing. And the doors seem to be opening you know, door after door by God's grace. It's yeah. all his undeserved favor. Absolutely. Yep. So along that same lines, I'd like to ask another question. Mm-hmm. If you could go back in time and talk to a younger version of Michael Anthony, mm-hmm. where would you inter- intersect with your own timeline? And what's <laughs> going on right there? And what advice would you give yourself? Great, great question. I would go back to my graduation day of Rutgers College as a 20-something, I think I was 21, and I would say to myself, believe in who God made you to be, step out in faith, and begin to speak and begin to write now. Do it right now and let Him direct you. I lacked so much confidence. Hmm. I didn't have enough of a track record. I'm part of first-generation Christians. My mother and father were not believers at that time. My mother then accepted Christ, and I led my father to the Lord nine days before he died. Mm. They didn't grow up as Christ followers. And I would go back to that graduation year, post-graduation, from graduation day on, and sit down with myself and say, hey, listen, dude, you just have to go for it. You got to believe in God. And and one of my mottos is a man must believe in someone beyond himself to achieve anything beyond belief. Mm. So believe, believe in God, believe in the person he made you to be and go for it. That's what I would do. I would pour that in. And that really guided my wife and and me for the raising of our two children. We have a 15 year old and a 13 year old and helping them continually understand you can do it. God is with you. And yet, you also need to take personal responsibility for your life. Don't yeah. wait for God to do something that he's telling you to do. 
If God's mm. telling you to do it, or if it's on your heart, then you owe it to yourself and you owe it to God to give it your best effort to see how far you can go. To see if God's in it, see if he's not. And if he's not, no problem. He's going to lead even through the if nots mm. and the not quites. God will lead through that to the definitive, yes, this is it. That's really good advice right there. Yeah, I think I think the fear of failure yeah. can immobilize a lot of people. And then we over-spiritualize it as Christians. Well, I'm just waiting for God to show me. Mm-hmm. You know, you might be waiting for God to show you something that he doesn't need to show you. Maybe he's already showed it to you in regard to your passion, your aptitude, your gifting. Right. What's on your heart? Dedicate it to the Lord. Dedicate yourself to the Lord. What's the worst thing that can happen? You fail trying to do something for him. Mm-hmm. And then you're not failing if you're evaluating, right? If you're evaluating, then you ask, hmm, what can I replicate? What can I elevate? What can I eliminate? Hmm. That's how on the journey you're continually learning because it's not just the arrival, not just the destination that's important. It is the process. It's not just what I'm going to do for God that matters. The most important thing is who I become in God while I'm on my way working for God. Yeah. Super important. Yeah. So do you think 21-year-old Michael Anthony would receive that information, would receive Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> 21-year-old Mike would have said, what are you talking about? But I would have harassed him. I would have shadowed him. And I would have relentlessly pounded him uh, to the point where he would have to cry uncle and yeah. um, help him understand. Yeah. Yeah. I love asking that question because obviously we can't go back in time. Mm-hmm. But those are the same bits of advice that we can still apply to our lives right now. Mm, mm-hmm. But it's like, what do, what do I need to hear from my own experience that would help me just to kind of know what is, what's going on mm-hmm. or what's going to be happening in, in the future or how should I look at that? And that does really help people that are listening. And it definitely helps me too. Yeah. And uh, I just appreciate Good. that. I just feel like that's a really... It's always a fun question to ask. That's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. What is a life verse that you have been able to anchor to during the storms? Great question. Uh, I have two, I have actually four of them, but they're two sections, John 4, 23 and 24. And where where Jesus is interacting with the the Samaritan woman and also Romans 12, one and two, John 4, 23 and 24. Jesus says, believe me, woman, the time is coming and has now come. When the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth, for God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So oftentimes, especially in uh, extreme Pentecostal circles, we always hear about the spirit aspect, the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is also the spirit of truth. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to worship God, it's got to be centered in truth. Your lifestyle has to be centered in truth. Ephesians 5.11 have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them so worshiping god in truth is central if you're not worshiping god and and walking in the truth you're not a living sacrifice you're a walking contradiction which Mm -hmm. leads me to romans 12 1 and 2 my other favorite verse is therefore i urge you brothers in view of the mercies of god to present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to god which is your spiritual service or spiritual act of worship Mm -hmm. do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So those verses go together. They're about worship. And I find it fascinating that neither of them mention a guitar, and I play guitar. (laughs) They don't mention drums. They don't mention singing. Uh So you could be somebody who can't sing a note on key and doesn't have an instrument at all, and yet you can be a phenomenal worshiper if you walk in the truth right and if you walk with a surrendered life abandoned to god it's good stuff yeah i think the the life that abandons to god will never be abandoned by god very good stuff you will be led and you will be directed at the beginning of this conversation you talked about your calculus teacher Mm -hmm. and how he threw out a challenge to you Mm -hmm. that is what caused you to actually make a decision to live for christ right and I would love to give you the opportunity to throw out a challenge to the listeners here. Sure. Glad to do that. I don't know where you're at with your faith journey. Everybody has a faith journey, even if you think you're faithless and you're an atheist or an agnostic. That's okay. Whether you believe in God will not ever affect the reality of his existence. It won't. He exists and he's real, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. 
every one of us is on a faith journey. We just may not know it. The thing that distinguishes Christianity from every other religion is that every other religion is about man, people reaching out to God, trying to earn favor, Mm -hmm. trying to gain his approval. Christianity is fundamentally different in that it says you cannot earn my favor or earn merit or work your way into a position of approval with me unless and until and when you accept what I did for you through the person and the works of Jesus Christ on the cross. So Christianity is not about man reaching out to God because while we were still sinners, Christ Mm -hmm. died for us. Mm -hmm. It's about God reaching out to us. So if you're at a point in your spiritual journey where some, maybe something that I said, something that you said, John, resonates with uh, you, the listener, you can ask God to reveal himself to you. You can seek him with your whole heart. And you can say, I mean, I've done it myself. God, I, I, I don't seem to be too hungry for you. Please make me hungry for mm-hmm. you. Lo and behold, he changes my spiritual appetite. So he's a God who hears us, and he wants nothing more than for us to know him. So wherever you are in your journey, God is real. And no matter what success you achieve in life, you don't want to have success without success. And success without success is to not have Jesus Christ as the foundation of your life, the Lord of your life, where you know that you know that you know that all of your sins are forgiven. But not just that, but that you're being transformed day by day through the renewal of your mind. In other words, coming to know Christ is not just fire insurance. It's not just about a get-out-of-jail-free card. By the way, it's not free. Christ paid it all. It is about coming to know Christ, which is a point of entry that then is supposed to transform, whether it's crockpot or microwave. It's supposed to transform everything about you so that when he who began a good work in you brings it to completion, you actually look, in regard to character, more like Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's not just about salvation, which I think is just selfish purposes. It is about sanctification. It is about transformation. It is about behaving more like Christ as Christ in you transforms you. So that's my challenge for you. Let God in. And I I would say it this way. No one who truly surrenders to God will ever live to regret it. Mm, That's good. Would you pray for people that are accepting that challenge right now? Sure. Uh, Join me in prayer here as uh, I pray. I want it to be your prayer, not just my prayer. Lord, you know my thoughts, my deeds, my actions, my past, my present, my future. I ask you to please help me, transform me. I ask you to reveal yourself to me, either in salvation, if that's new to me, through the person and the works of Jesus Christ, or in a deeper walk with you in transformation. I ask that you would do a mighty work in my life. Help me. Take me from where I am to where you want me to be. Don't let me lose another day. I surrender to you. I give you whatever the issue or issues might be, and I ask you to help me, strengthen me, encourage me, and transform me, that your good, pleasing, and perfect will would be accomplished in me for your glory. In the name of of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Michael, before we wrap up this episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about how people can find more information about you. Sure. They can find out about the Courageous Life Planning System by going to CourageousLifeSystem.com, CourageousLifeSystem.com. It's also on Amazon. They can find that by just looking up, uh, typing in Courageous Life Planner. And uh, that's a great way for the the planning system. And... um, you know, actually, I'll give, I can give your listeners 20% off if they want to okay. get 20% off a planner. I think they would type in um, when they go to the cart, when they go to the shopping cart to get 20% off. I'm looking at my uh, executive director here, special friend 20 off. They would, no spaces, just type in special friend 20 off. The number 20 or, the, or spelled out 20? The number 20, special friend 20 off, no spaces. And they put that in the coupon code area when they go to CourageousLifeSystem.com. They get 20% off. And then if they want to connect with me, with me in general, my blog, videos, media appearances, anything like that, it's CourageMatters.com. CourageMatters.com. That's how they can connect. And I'd love to hear from you. Uh, listeners, love to be able to interact with you. Let me know how the podcast and John is blessing you. Michael Anthony, thank you so much for yeah. allowing me to join you along your way. 
Absolutely. My pleasure, John. God bless you, man. I, I mean it. God bless you, everybody. When I think about courage, a movie character pops into mind. The cowardly lion from the 1939 film The Wizard of Oz. Courage was not really what the cowardly lion was missing in The Wizard of Oz. The wizard gave him a medal of courage, but really he was courageous the whole time because he acted in spite of his fear. The thing that always bothered me about that film is that the wizard didn't actually give the Tin Man, Scarecrow, or Cowardly Lion anything that they didn't already have and demonstrated throughout the entire movie. But I guess that's the point. They overcame their lack of heart, a brain, and courage along their way as they went off to see the wizard, the wonderful Wizard of Oz. Sometimes the best thing that we can do is respond to our situations by doing what is right, regardless of if it's difficult or not. The wizard really only helped them see themselves as who they really are, despite their perceived lack. Michael Anthony has had many opportunities to let his fear derail his purpose, whether it be almost being kidnapped, battling cancer, changing occupations, but I'm very glad that he was paying attention to God's leading along the way, and he trusted the Lord throughout the biggest obstacles in his life. He is really focused on helping people find their God-given purpose, and I really like what he said about evaluating experience. Experience will not make you better at anything in life. Only evaluated experience will make you better. And then you're not failing if you're evaluating, right? If you're evaluating, then you ask, hmm, what can I replicate? What can I elevate? What can I eliminate? If you are evaluating, you aren't failing. That's really encouraging to me. I know that I can feel like a failure at times when things don't go the way that I want them to. But if I evaluate and learn from those experiences, then I'm not a failure at all. Processing what we need to replicate, elevate, and then what we need to eliminate is so important. I recently had a rough day at work because I made a small spelling mistake with a graphical title for a guest. The error that I made caused some of my coworkers to have to go back and fix it. That added time and work to my coworkers' already busy days, but I'm glad that it was fixed. I made sure that I evaluated why that error happened. I could have continued to beat myself up for making that mistake, but I learned from it and I've been more vigilant with those small details as a result. I have an amazingly talented team that I work with at Cornerstone Network, and we are all working together to make Jesus famous. So when one person messes up, we all help each other out so that no one really fails. I hope that you start evaluating your life and seriously look into Michael's courageous life planning system if you don't already have a plan to measure your life. My verse for last year was Psalm 90 verse 12, and I personalized it. God, teach me to number my days that I may apply my heart unto wisdom. That verse was a constant reminder to ask God to help me plan out my days and learn from them. I have definitely benefited from numbering or planning out my days better, and I hope you evaluate your days too. If you'd like to know more about Michael Anthony, his information will be in my show notes, including the discount code that he mentioned. Thank you for listening to Along the Way. If you've enjoyed joining me along my way, please share this episode with a friend who you think will be encouraged by this podcast. Also, please rate and review Along the Way on iTunes. That helps more people discover Along the Way. And subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and at my website, alongtheway.media, which I will be upgrading very soon. It's taking a lot of work, but I promise it's going to be good. I hope you've enjoyed this part of my journey, and may you realize when Jesus is walking with you along your way.